Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. After Jesus rose from the dead, he spent the next 40 days appearing to people on the earth. He both spoke to and did many signs in the presence of many people, and he decided exactly who he would reveal himself to. That was his choice. And there were more than 500 eyewitness accounts that saw the risen Lord after the resurrection. He spoke to many people and he did many things in the presence of many witnesses. As a church, we're still within that 40-day post-resurrection period. And so far as a church, we've looked at the two times that Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room. We've also looked at the time when Jesus met the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And last week, we saw another encounter in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, where Jesus had breakfast with his disciples. And again, he revealed to them that he was indeed still alive. So today we continue in John chapter 21 and we begin uh, by looking at verses uh, 15 through 17 more specifically. We're going to read verses 15 through 19 but our focus this morning will be verses 15 through 17 and then God willing next week we'll be able to close this chapter out. But let's recap first. All right, In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 7, uh, Mary was at the tomb and she saw an angel who told her that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, but that he had risen. And then the angel gave the command to the women to tell Jesus' disciples that he had risen from the dead and he, will going, and he will be going before them into Galilee. So the angel of the Lord gave this command to, um, to the women to tell the disciples to go and wait for him in Galilee. Now, Galilee is about 126 uh, kilometers from Jerusalem, and the Sea of Galilee, more specifically, is about 123 kilometers from Jerusalem. And now, uh, back then, a day's journey was considered to be somewhere between 20 and 25 miles was a day's journey. But I would guess that for these Young men who were strong and healthy, I would estimate that they would do a day's journey. Um, they would cover about 25 miles in a single day's journey. So that means it would have taken them about three days to get from Jerusalem to Galilee. So they arrive in Galilee and Peter says, I'm going fishing. There are six other disciples that are with him and they say, we're also going with you. They fish all night long and they catch absolutely Nothing. As the sun comes up in the morning, they hear the voice of a man on the shore. And this man says, children, have you any food? They have no idea that it's Jesus and respond to his question with a simple no. Jesus tells them to cast their net on the right side of the boat and they will find some. So they cast their net in obedience to Jesus's word and they caught a mighty catch of fish that day. John says... It's the Lord. Peter then puts on his outer garment and he plunges into the sea and he heads towards Jesus as fast as he can toward the shore. Now, when they had all come onto land, the Bible says in verse 9, they saw a fire of coals there. Verse 9 of John 21. When they came to land, 
The Bible says they saw a fire of coals there. Now, it's important that you understand that the writer John and the Gospel of John, uh, this writer, he pays close attention to the details. So I want you to remember that verse, verse 9. They saw a fire of coals there when they came to the shore and fish laid on it and bread. Remember this verse. So Jesus was preparing breakfast for them. He tells them to bring some of the fish which they had just caught. And Peter responds to Jesus's word and he brings the net full of large fish to the land and the net was not broken, the Bible says, even though they had 153 fish. Again, there's that attention uh, to DL. 153 fish, but the net was not broken. Jesus says, come and eat breakfast. Now, They all knew it was the Lord, yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? And then Jesus served them bread and he served them fish. And I kind of see this like an uncomfortable meal where um, there may have been a lot of silence at this point because it was kind of awkward of Peter having denied Jesus three times. And now he's dealing with the reality and the guilt of his denial of Christ. And now here he is. Jesus is here with me. Uh, The one you denied, he is alive and he is well. And he just made you breakfast and now he's sitting here with you and he's eating with you. Man, I could imagine the the kind of awkwardness that, that Peter may have been feeling at that time. So this is the third time that Jesus, the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples. And this would somewhere be between day 11 and day 40 of Jesus's 40-day post-resurrection appearances on the earth. So right now we're somewhere between, again, day 11 and day 40. So that was last week's text, and now we pick up here in verses 15 through 17, and this is where we will rest this morning. John chapter 21, we're going to read verses 15 through 19, but we're going to pay close attention to verses 15 through 17. So let's dive right in and let's pray. We've got a lot to cover this morning. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we love you and we bless you and we thank you that this is the day that you have made. And Lord, we choose to rejoice and to be glad in it. Father, we thank you that your word is living and is powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword, separating even to the division of soul and of spirit and of bone and of marrow and is a thought and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Father, we thank you that your word works, that it always works, that your word discerns what we are to meditate upon, what we are to think upon. We thank you that your word is truth, that your word changes our entire being. Lord, we give John 21, uh, 15 through 17 into your hands and we pray, mighty Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us and minister to us this morning through your word. And I pray that no one would would leave uh, the, the presence of this teaching in the same way that they came. We love you. We're excited to hear your word. May we incline our here to hear exactly what your spirit is saying to us this morning. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen. And a Men. John 21, 15 through 19. Let's go ahead and read. So, John 21, 15 through 19. Grab your Bibles. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? So when they had eaten breakfast, this is where we're picking up this morning. 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. If we love him, we will follow him. Amen. If we love him, we will follow him. Today we focus on verses 15 through 17 again. And let me just uh, jump right in and tell you right now that the stage has been set. The stage has been set well. The stage has been set, in fact, perfectly. Jesus has set the stage perfectly for Peter and for himself, for this encounter of restoration, which is about to take place in Peter's life. And as a former actor, I understand the importance of setting the stage well. Setting the stage well prepares you as an actor and also prepares the audience for the things that are about to take place on that stage. And I can tell you that the stage has been set so well here in John 21 that something mighty is about to happen. You can, you can feel it, you can sense it by the way that the stage has been set. If you remember that uh, Peter denied Jesus three times in John chapter 18. Jesus, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times in John chapter 18 and the, the setting was a fire of coals. When Peter denied Jesus three times, the, the setting in which he denied him three times, it was a fire made of coals. That's where he was when he denied Jesus three times. And Peter stood there by the fire. <clears throat> Peter stood there by the fire and he warmed himself, the Bible said, and he casually and then aggressively denied Jesus three times. Right there by the, by the coals uh, of fire. Now, Peter, obviously, he remembers that day clearly. He remembers exactly where he was. He remembers exactly what he did. He remembers exactly what happened on that day by the coals of fire. He remembers that he was cold and that he was trying to make himself as comfortable as possible by the fire. In other words, he was attending to his flesh and he couldn't even handle a cold body, yet alone a battered and bruised one. 
Peter was in fear. And it was there by the fire of coals that Peter, without hesitation, did the unthinkable. He did the very thing that he never thought he would do or even could do. And he did the very thing that he swore he would never do. Right there by the coals of fire. Let me ask you real quick this morning. Have you ever done something like that? Have you ever done something that you swore that you never would do? And he did it so easily and he did it so quickly. He denied that he had ever even met the man Jesus Christ. Peter denied that he had ever even met the man Jesus Christ. The man who changed his life. The man who healed his mother-in-law, the man who called him to walk on water, the man who walked on water with him, the man who saved him when he began to drown in that very water, the man who had rescued him when he began to drown, the man who revealed to him who he was, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God, the man who gave him boatloads of fish, the man who he used, the man who used him to take a golden coin out of a fish's mouth, the man who loved you, the man who invested in you, the man who you watched do miracles, signs and wonders, and the list goes on and on and on. And Peter could never forget what he did and was probably tormented by what he did. Whenever Peter saw a fire of coals, he would have probably remembered what he did. Whenever he saw a fire, he would have, it would have been a trigger and he would have remembered what he did. Whenever he smelled the, the smell of coals burning on a fire, it's a trigger. And he would have remembered exactly what he did. And now Jesus resets the stage right here. In John 21, 15 through 17, he resets the stage right here to give it a new meaning. He gives it a new meaning for Peter and now he ministers to him by a fire made of coals, a fire that Jesus himself prepared that was made of coals. And he sets the stage to, to minister to Peter right here and to begin the restoration process in his life. Peter denied the Lord three times and it is here where Christ gives Peter the opportunity to confess his love for him three times by a fire made of coals. It is here where Christ gives Peter the opportunity to counter his denial with the confession of his love for Christ three times by a fire made of coals. And I can assure you this morning that your love for Christ will eventually be tested just as Peter's love for Christ was eventually tested. Our love for Christ will be proven. If we love him, we will follow him. In verses 15 through 17, in these three verses, we have the word love seven times. Seven times in our text this morning, seven times in three verses, we have the word love. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 
through 30, there was uh, a scribe and a lawyer asked Jesus a question in order to test him. And I'm going to read it to you right now. This is both a scribe and a lawyer asks Jesus the question, a question in order to test him. Mark 12, 28 through 30, and it says this, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love agapeo, and you shall love agapeo or agape, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Jesus here quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is how he is calling you to love him. This is how he is calling us to love him. Okay, now listen to these powerful and sobering words as we move on. Pay close attention to these words spoken by Jesus in Luke chapter 14, and then we're going to connect the two. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, Jesus says this, pay close attention. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And who does not, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Selah. Pause. Your love for God is a very sobering word spoken by Jesus. Your love for God should be so great that your love for everything else under him should be viewed as hatred when compared to your love for him. I'm going to say that again. Your love for God should be so great that your love for everything else under him should be viewed as hatred in comparison when you compare it to your love for him. Nobody should ever question if you love your father or your mother more than you love God. That should never even be a question in someone's mind. Nobody should ever question if you love your wife 
or your children not even not even more than God or even the same as God. Nobody should ever even mistake that your love for your wife and that your love for your children could even compare or even be somewhat equal to your love for God. That shouldn't even be a comparison. Nobody should ever question if your love, if you love your brothers and your sisters even close to the kind of love that you have for God. And yes, no one should ever question that you might love yourself even a fraction as much as you love God. That's what this is saying here. Jesus asks Peter a question in verse 15, and here is the question. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than anything else? Do you love me more than everything else? Do you love me more? Verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And this is the title of today's message. Do you love me more than these? Verse 15, more than these. And this is where we will pause this morning. It's probably one of two things here. Do you love me more than these other disciples or if Peter had gone back to his old ways do you love me more than these fish the 153 fish which were just caught and now they're in a net right before us do you love me more than these fish let's look at the first do you love me more than these other disciples do you love me more than all these other disciples now remember Peter before said even if all these shall forsake you Lord even if all these other men all all these other disciples even if these shall forsake you I will not I will never forsake you what then was he saying Jesus what he was saying is this he was saying Jesus I love you more than these I love you more than all of these around you I love you more. I love you more than anyone else in the room. I love you more than anyone else, Jesus. That's me. And that's a very bold statement that, that Peter made. And Peter's basically, he, he called these guys out and said, even if all of them, even if they all deny you, me, not so. I will never do such a thing. They might though. Jesus, like they, some of these guys in the room, they, they may deny you, but me, absolutely not. They might, but I won't. And he, Peter, denied him three times the very same night. So maybe when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? He's referring to the disciples whom Jesus said, um, whom, whom Peter said, man, I will... They may, but I, I won't. Maybe that's what he is referring to. Or Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these fish? Again, the 153 fish that were right before them. Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than nets? Do you love me more than boats? Do you love me more than the water? Do you love me more than these things? 
Peter, do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than fish? Now, do you love me more than these? That's the question this morning. And I want to ask you, how would you respond if Jesus asked you at breakfast this morning, this very morning, if Jesus asked you personally the question with your name and he said, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than stuff? Do you love me more than these things? Do you love me more than these? What's, what's these? It's, it's stuff. Again, it's, it's idols. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than whatever you have formed, whatever you have fashioned and shaped with your hands? Do you love me more than these things that you have formed, these things that you have partnered with, these things that you yourself have given power to? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And I'm very serious. What if the Lord asked you this morning, this very morning, if he asked you the question and said to you, do you love me more than these things? In Matthew 6 and verse 33, Jesus uh, speaks about this. He speaks about this. Matthew 6 and verse 33, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more? Do you love me more than these things? He asked me the question. When I was 19, he asked me the question, Marlon, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And Matthew 6, 33, hit me. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these, whatever it is, all of these other things, whatever they are, shall be added unto you. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. But Jesus asked me the question when I was 19, Marlon, do you love me more than these? I just recently met him when I was 19 years old and only known him for a few months before he asked me the great, the great question and he asks, Marlon Yearwood, do you love me more than these? And I respond, yes, Lord. And he asked me, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the auditions? Do you love me more than your agent? Do you love me more than the directors? Do you love me more than the producers? Do you love me more than wealth? Do you love me more than fame? Do you love me more than popularity? Do you love me more than recognition? Do you love me more, son, than these things? And I said, yes, Lord. I said, yes. And he said, follow me. Feed my sheep, etc. He gave me instruction just as he gave Peter instruction in this chapter and I want you to know I want you to understand this morning that following him will cost you following him will cost you just like it cost them in the first century following him will cost you in the 21st century following him will cost you and I know without a shadow of a doubt that at the age that I am right now 
I know without a shadow of a doubt that I would have made it to Hollywood. I have no doubt about that. That was my dream. That was my goal. That was my everything. That was my life. And I was doing it from the age of six to 19. And that was my passion. And I was driven. And I had vision. And that's where I was going. And, and, and doors were opening for me. And I have no doubt that had I continued on that path, had I pursued it, amazing and mighty doors were opening. I have no doubt that today I would have made it to Hollywood. No doubt about that. But one thing I know is I know that there was no satisfaction in that. There was no peace in that. And one thing I know is it's this, it's that I loved him more than these things and nothing can be compared to what this world has to offer. My testimony is the complete opposite of my wife's testimony. Some of you have heard my wife's testimony, but her testimony, she was at the bottom of the pit. She was in pain and desperate for freedom and she cried out to God and he heard her and he delivered her and set her free within a day. But for me, I was on a mountaintop. I was not in a pit crying out to God. I was on a mountain top and life was great and life was amazing and I enjoyed life and I loved life. I'm going to be honest with you, I enjoyed life and I loved life and life was good and I didn't recognize that I truly didn't have life until I met Christ. It's when I met Him that I really understood that what I thought was life really was not. Christ gave to me something greater than I had before. He, he came to me and He gave me something greater than I thought I had, greater, greater than I had, and He changed and transformed my life. And I said, wow, this is life. Moving on, what would you, what would cause you to compromise your relationship with Jesus? What would cause you to compromise your relationship with Him? Do you love Him more than your job? Do you love Him more than your career? Do you love Him more than your goals and your aspirations in life? Do you love Him more than these? Someone once said that everyone has their price. Someone once said that everyone has their price. Or like the words of Robert Redford in the movie Indecent Proposal, everything is for sale. Everything is for sale. And someone once said, everyone has their price. So what is your price this morning? What is your price? What is it? For Jesus, it was nothing. Nothing could pull him away from the mission and the plan and the love that he had for his father. Satan offered him the world because it was his to offer by the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us this, but, but Satan offered to Jesus the, the world, for he is the God of this age, he is the God of this world, and Satan offers to Jesus the world if he would just bow down and worship him. But Jesus refused, he refused to bow down and worship him to gain what this world had to offer. Jesus also taught 
and said in Matthew 16 and verse 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For what profit is it for a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That is a scary truth. That you can exchange your soul for stuff. That you can exchange your soul for stuff. I know though that some of you are are really uh, smart people and you possibly may think that you can do both. You think that you can both gain the world, but also gain salvation at the same time. You believe that somehow you can master it, somehow you can pull it off. Uh, I understand the Bible says that, but I I can somehow, I'm smart enough to do both. I can somehow gain the world and also gain salvation at the same time. Remember that Satan is the God of this world. Remember that and don't forget that he is the God of this age. And remember that it will cost you to follow him. It will cost you to follow him. You forfeit the spiritual recognition of your father for the physical recognition of people. You forfeit spiritual riches for physical Riches, you forfeit eternity for the temporary. And I want you to understand, listen very clearly to me, there is nothing in of itself that is wrong with fishing for fish. There's nothing in of itself that's wrong with fishing for fish. I think Jesus proved this point when he himself called called Peter away from fishing for fish and called him to be a fisher of men. But then he allows Peter to fish again for fish, maybe just for his uh, enjoyment. But he allows Peter to fish again for fish when Jesus commanded him to catch a fish and told him that the, the fish that he catches will have a golden coin within its mouth. And with that coin, we will pay to Caesar the taxes. He tells Peter, hey, go ahead and go fishing again, fish for fish. And you're going to catch a fish and there's going to be a golden coin in its mouth. And with that coin, we're going to um, uh, give taxes to Caesar. So maybe it was just for, uh, for Peter's enjoyment that he allowed him to go uh, fishing again in order for him to, to reveal this miracle. He could have caused the coin to appear from anywhere. So there's nothing in of itself that's wrong with fishing for fish. The problem is when fishing for fish becomes your livelihood and it becomes your source. That's a problem. And you may say, well, I I know some folks where fishing for fish, it's their livelihood and it's their source, it's their everything. Well, yeah, that's that's the problem. I I know that may be normal um, in the world today that we trust and we rely in things and upon things. But for us who believe it shall not be so, that's when it becomes a problem. God himself wants you to be. God himself wants, wants himself to be the one who you call your livelihood. And he wants to be your source. He wants you to call him your livelihood. He wants you to call him your source. Don't misunderstand me. There's nothing again that is wrong with your job. There's nothing wrong with your job. As long as you hate it in comparison to your love. 
for God. Nothing wrong with your job as long as you hate it in comparison to your love for God. There's nothing wrong with your home and your cars as long as you hate it in comparison to your love for God. There's nothing wrong with your relationships. There's nothing wrong with your, with your scholarships. There's nothing wrong with your schooling and your education as long as you hate it in comparison to your love for God. As long as you hate it in comparison to your love for God, then God has his place and stuff has its place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love him above all else. This is what he's calling you to this morning. Love him above all else, even to the point that your second love it's almost like hatred when compared to your first love. I hope you get the point. Verses 15 through 17. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The Hebrew language, like the English language, only has one word for love, ahav, which I pulled from Deuteronomy chapter 6. But the Hebrew language, just like the, the English language, only has one word for love, ahav. Now, the root word of ahava is ahav, and the term ahav in Hebrew means to give. The term ahav in Hebrew means to give. True ahava or true love is more concerned about giving than it is receiving. The Hebrew word ahava is not an emotion, but it is an action. Love is action. Love is not a feeling or an emotion. Love is action. Notice in the text here, every time that Peter says, I love you, Jesus gives him something to do. In verse 15, uh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Verse 16, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Verse 17, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Love is not a word, but an action. Every time that, that Peter displays or expresses or confesses his love to Jesus with a word, Jesus gives him something to do. Love is only uh, wrapped in the body of a word, if I could say that, so that we may identify it. But it is not identified by merely hearing the word love. It is identified through the action that love produces. Love is action. It's more than just a word. 
we, we say the word love uh, so that we can uh, identify what it is supposed to be, but love is, is action. Love is, is produced um, by that which is done. For God so loved the world that He gave. He doesn't just speak of His love. He, he rarely speaks of His love, but His love is demonstrated in action. So, John 14 and verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, then do something. In the English language, we only have one word for love. As I said, you know, we love our dog, we love our wife. We love our pizza, we love different toppings on our pizza, we love our kids. We love that sports team, we love God. It's the same word. There is no distinction found. However, in the Greek, there are three main words for love. You have the word eros, you have the word phileo, and you have the word agape or agapeo. Number one, the word eros is one of the main words uh, in, the, in the Greek for love. And this is a sensual, sexual love, the kind between a married man and a married woman. This is eros. This is eros love. It is sensual. It is sexual. It is the kind between a married man and a married woman. This is one kind of love. The second kind of love is a love called phileo. And when you think of phileo, think of uh, the... Uh, think of Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, right? It's the city of known for brotherly love. Now, phileo is brotherly love. Phileo is um, uh, affection. This is, I, I like you. I like you. I have affection toward you. This is phileo. And then you have the third kind of love, which is the highest kind of love, which is the God kind of love, which is agape or agapeo. Agapeo is the highest kind of love. This is the unconditional type of love. This is, again, the God kind of love, the highest kind of love. And this is to love dearly. This is to love dearly. So three kinds of love. Eros is a physical Love, you might say, phileo is a emotional, is an emotional love, you might say, and agape or agapeo is a spiritual love, you might say. Now, when Jesus asks Peter in verse 15, 16, and in verse 17, Peter, do you love me? Jesus uses the word agapeo. He says, Peter, do you love me dearly? He says, Peter, do you love me dearly? In verse 15 and 16, excuse me, he uses that word. Verse 15 and 16, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you, do you love me tenderly? Do you love me deeply? And Peter does not respond with agapeo. He doesn't respond with, yes, Lord, I love you, agapeo. Yes, Lord, I love you, agape. Yes, Lord, I love you dearly and tenderly. But Peter responds with phileo, which is a lesser kind of love. Jesus, I really like you. I have affection for you. And Jesus asked him three times. And on the third time, Jesus no longer asked Peter if he agapeoed him, if he loved him dearly. 
But on the third time, Jesus himself says to Peter, Peter, do you fillet on me? Since that was the word that Peter was using, he says, okay, Peter, do you have affection towards me? And Peter was upset that he asked him three times and was probably upset that he came down to his level and asked him if he had affection for him. Now, you see, I believe that Peter had learned his lesson of boasting. And now here he was in the presence of the Lord. And Peter had learned that maybe his heart was deceitful and that he can put absolutely no confidence in the flesh. Peter had truly lost his confidence within himself. And he's now hesitant and reluctant to confess his full love for Christ. And Jesus never got the answer that he was seeking from Peter here, yet he used him anyway. Jesus never got the answer that he was seeking from Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me dearly? Peter said, yeah, yes, Lord, I, I, I like you. Jesus said, Peter, do you, do you love me dearly? Peter said, yes, Lord, I, I, I like you. I have affections towards you. Jesus said, Peter, do you have affection then toward me? And Peter was upset and said, yes, Lord, you know I, I have affection toward you. Jesus never got the answer that he was seeking from Peter, yet he used him anyway. Wow. Interesting. Jesus never got the answer he was seeking from Peter, yet he used him anyway. Jesus restored him to ministry. Jesus restored Peter to ministry right here. And he still gave him a mighty and a noble task. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And even though he knew that Peter's love for him was not 100%, he used him anyway. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you have to reach a mighty spiritual level in order for Christ to be able to use you. Peter was not where Jesus wanted him to be with his love for him, yet he still called him and he still used him. Love was still the motivation by which Peter followed Jesus. It was not the agape kind of love, but for Jesus, phileo will do. Because there's a mission field and there's work to be done. You phileo me, Peter, let's go. Let's, let's, let's be on mission. Let's go. I can still use you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18 says this. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, powerful, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. Peter says, listen, however the gospel is preached, whether your heart is in it, whether the motivation is in it, whether, whether love is even in it, 
Whenever the gospel is preached, I rejoice. Whether in pretense or whether in truth, I rejoice that the gospel is being preached. Do you know why Paul rejoices? He rejoices because the gospel works, because the seed works, because the gospel works, because the gospel, because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Because the gospel works, because seed is being scattered and some will undoubtedly grow. If I get bit by a rattlesnake, I could care less or not whether the doctor is racist or not. I'll be real with you. If I get bit by a rattlesnake, I could care less whether the, the, the doctor uh, administering the anti-venom, if whether he's racist or not or likes me or not, I could care less. A racist doctor that administers to me the, the anti-venom helps to save my life. You hear that? Helps to save my life. And whether his heart is in it or not, that's between him and God. But I still receive the full effectiveness of the anti-venom. And I still benefit from it. I want you to understand that Jesus will use you. Jesus will use you and he wants to use you and he wants to use you where you're at. And I'm speaking for those who believe, for those who believe in him, he will use you. You believe in him, you trust in him, we're in different levels spiritually, but God wants to use you to be in mission, on mission. And I want you to understand that um, many times one of the uh, fastest ways to grow spiritually is to care and is to minister to someone else. So. As we begin to close up here, uh, real quickly, feeding the lambs is to do with feeding the younger ones. Jesus loved and ministered to the children. We know that. So feeding the lambs is to do with ministering to the children, to the younger ones. Jesus has taken Peter from fishing analogies to shepherd analogies. When Jesus met Peter, he said, I will make you a fisher of men but now he's telling peter to feed my lambs to tend my sheep to feed my sheep he's taken peter from fishing analogies to uh, shepherd analogies fishing has to do with evangelism and feeding has to do with discipleship feeding and tending sheep and lambs has to do with shepherding and discipling it is both the work of the evangelist and the work of the pastor. Jesus is confrontational and he confronted Peter and he confronted him in love. Now in my conclusion here, in my conclusion, do you love him more than these? Do you love him more than these? God will meet you where you're at. Okay, maybe you phileo him but he will meet you there and he will use you there god has a plan and a purpose for you god has a mission for you regardless of where you're at in life he wants to use you the degree of your love for him is based upon you and you can love him as much as you want to you can love him as much as you want to and you will not love him as much as you are okay with. You, you will love him as much as you want to, and you will not love him as much as you are okay with. 
and he cannot love you any more than he already has. He demonstrated to you his love by willingly going to a cross, by taking up a cross, not his own, but taking up and carrying your cross. That's how he demonstrated his love for you. And he died upon that cross and he shed all of his blood upon that cross because you were a sinner and you could not die for yourself. Even if you died on the cross, you still could not redeem yourself because your blood was insufficient. But the blood of Jesus, his perfect blood, he came here, lived and walked on earth a perfect life. And he came here not for himself, but he came for you. And he shed perfect blood, the blood of a spotless lamb, the lamb of God, he shed that for you. And he rose again for you. And he says, if you believe that the blood that I shed was shed on your behalf, and if you believe that I rose again on the third day, then you can have hope in me. So he's already demonstrated to you the fullness of his love. He cannot love you any more than that. He cannot, he cannot love you any more than the cross. But you, your degrees of love for him can vary. And that's based upon you. If you haven't called upon him, I challenge you and I plead with you to call upon him today. He loves you. He has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. And if you believe that simple gospel message, if you believe the, the good news that he died in your place, then call upon him today and tell him that you accept the great exchange. And your love for him can grow. His love for you cannot grow. Again, because it's been demonstrated in its fullness upon the cross. But your love for him can grow even at the way city church we have people that are on different levels spiritually we have some people that love him more some people that love him less but regardless of where you're at I, i'm calling you to to love him more i'm calling you to fellowship with him and i'm calling you to 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 do the work of an evangelist allow him to use you wherever you are at i also want to encourage you and 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 challenge you um, as we continue for the next i don't know month two months, three months, I don't know how long this is going to be, but I want to encourage you to continue to invite people um, to uh, this uh, virtual meeting. Continue to evangelize and invite people this way so that they can worship with us on Sunday morning and so that they can hear the word of God. Father, we love you and we bless you. I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, for uh, speaking uh, your word of truth. I thank you that your word works, that your word is powerful, that your word is living, that your word is alive, Lord. And Father, we embrace your word. And Father, I pray that no one would leave the same this morning, Lord, from your word. I pray that everyone would be challenged to answer the question, Lord, do we love you more than these? Uh, and Father, anything in our life that gets in the way of our love for you, Lord, may we, may we get rid of it. Lord God Almighty, may we separate, may we separate from it. May we stop giving it, Lord, the, the attention, Father, that, um, uh, that it does not need, Father, and may we give you your rightful place. So Father, may we begin to, to discard of certain things and may we begin to demote certain things. There are some things in our life um, that doesn't need to be discarded, but it just needs to be demoted. So Father, may we demote certain things and may we elevate you in our life because we have access to you and we have uh, access, as much access to your love as we desire. So Father, may we know that this morning and may we walk in this truth. We love you and we bless you and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen and Amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.